0: You are listening to The Pulse, Rod Murray's e-learning tech podcast.
1: Number 204, Phil Miller of Open LMS. This is Rod. Welcome back to my podcast. I hope you're having a great summer. And in the spirit of summertime, I'm playing a song called Summertime by Brother Love. Stay tuned at the end of the podcast for the full song. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by D2L. You may know their main product, the Brightspace Learning Management System. I, of course, would only accept sponsorship from companies and products that I'm very fond of. So please check out their website at d2l.com slash Pulse Podcast to learn more. I also invite you to follow me on Twitter. My handle is Rods Pods. As always, I post links to the things we talk about on my show notes website at www.rodspulsepodcast.com For this episode, I have an interview with Phil Miller. He's the managing director of OpenLMS. OpenLMS is a Moodle-based LMS platform. We talk about Phil's background, the history of Open LMS the usage boost they got during COVID, how they've acquired other companies. They also lower the cost of ownership because it's an open source product. They have a SaaS approach, that stands for software as a service. And we talk about their partnerships with SafeAssign, Ally, IntelliBoard, and Class Technologies. Also, I didn't know that Class acquired Blackboard Collaborate, interesting. We end up with talking a bit about new directions in educational technology and their first face-to-face users conference in Phoenix in October. What I didn't realize is that Moodle is one of the largest LMSs worldwide. So I used to talk about the big three, but let's include Moodle as one of the big four LMSs out there. So without further ado, here is my interview with Phil Miller. Phil, thank you so much for agreeing to speak with me today. I'm anxious to learn about what
2: you're up to these days. Uh, my pleasure. It's uh, it's great to be here and uh, just share a little bit about what we're doing, what's happening in the market, and answer any questions you've got. So I'm excited
1: yeah. to see it. I, I know I recognized your your picture. I, I think I, I knew you and your years at uh, Blackboard. You want to give my audience a little bit of your history and how you came to Open LMS.
2: I mean, I don't want to give them too much of the history because it might get a little weird. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've got a long surprisingly long, making me feel old, long history in the market. Um, I joined a company called Angel Learning back in 2002, 2003, right in there somewhere. And um, we eventually sold that company to Blackboard in 2009, uh, which was our biggest competitor at the time. And um, I almost immediately left Blackboard and tried to do some other things before joining uh, Moodle Rooms at the time. Uh, which then, about three, you know, eighteen months after I joined, we then sold that to Blackboard. Um, so again, a little bit of a, a full circle there. And then I stayed with Blackboard for a long time, um, doing everything from launching their international uh, Moodle practice with Moodle Rooms, which which became Open LMS, uh, as well as leading their Blackboard Learn product line and their teaching and learning product lines for various periods of time. A few years ago, we decided that um, that Open LMS, the former Moodle Rooms, was a great asset. It was sitting inside of Blackboard, and and Blackboard was focused on other things. So we decided to uh, buy that business out from Blackboard and run it as an independent business within uh, a different company that had a different focus. So um, that's how I ended up here. Uh, uh, it's now been, I think. Good Lord that's we're coming up on 20 years in the edtech kind of LMS market so uh makes me feel a little little older than I'd like to feel
1: I hear you I hear you yeah. I'm a, I'm a veteran of uh LMSs uh just to, to bring my audience up to date I, I helped to bring Blackboard into my um I spent 20 years at Thomas Jefferson University and I helped yeah. to bring them in in the late 90s I mean we were on I think version 3 um Okay. and uh, I think it was called course info uh, at the time yep. and so I've uh, I have a long history and, and, and certainly have supported blackboard for years and then um, in my latest uh, uh, institution University of the sciences uh, we we moved on to uh, other LMSs but uh, I was um, yeah I remember some of the history in terms of uh, Moodle I had forgotten that Moodle rooms then became open LMS so um, and then the fact that you separated from Blackboard. So how's that been going? What what has your growth been like? And because
2: this is a very competitive environment. Yeah, it's been it's been a really exciting two years. Now, the interesting part of that story that I didn't mention is that we announced the separation of Blackboard from Blackboard on March 1st of 2020 with a, a t- anticipated close date of April 1st, 2020. And if you remember right, in between those two dates, uh, approximately March fifteenth to the eighteenth, depending on where you were in the world, the world shut down and every institution in the world moved fully online. Um, and so it was a pretty tumultuous time to to do that. Um, we were incredibly busy. We saw things like our AWS usage spike by about four hundred percent in one week. Um, and so I mean it was, uh, but I mean the team was able to handle that. And 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 honestly, forming a new company in kind of in the trenches like that, I think was actually a good, uh, bonding experience for the team. And we kind of came together and our mission is so important that we, we, I think it actually helped us come together in the end. Uh, since then we've been, we've been growing like wildfire in, in two different ways, right? I mean, part of our strategy, um, well, let let me start with some basics here. Moodle is the most important LMS in the world. Uh, People forget that, especially here in the US, that Moodle is used by more than 65% of all institutions of higher education globally. Um, And then it's used by tens of thousands of companies and training facilities, et cetera. Um, But one of the problems with the Moodle market is that it's incredibly fragmented. Around the world, there are literally hundreds of little companies that do Moodle work that nobody knows about. Um, and so we have a strategy that is twofold. One, we're investing to grow organically. So we've got salespeople that are out there selling. We're winning new deals. We're we, we the first year in 2020, I think we signed more than 175 new clients organically. Um, and then we've also done some acquisitions of other Moodle companies, and we hope to do more of that. Again, Moodle is very fragmented. One of the things that we're trying to do is these Moodle companies that are regional, you know, in Europe somewhere or in South America somewhere. Um, give them, bring them into Open LMS. They, they look very similar to us, right? They host Moodle, they support Moodle, they train people on Moodle, and then give them more resources both to grow and then also, you know, there's a lot of duplication of effort, right? I mean, literally hundreds of companies are out there doing quality assurance on Moodle. Um, you know, if you, as we brought so far, we brought three companies together: uh, Moodle Rooms, Open LMS, which came out of Blackboard. Then we bought a company called eThink Education here in the US. uh, That was the next biggest Moodle provider. And then we bought a company out of Australia called eCreators. And so in that time, we have gone from about 750 clients when we left Blackboard to now more than 1,700 clients. um, uh, So more than double in size. We've gone from 72 employees the day that we left Blackboard to about 145 uh, employees today. And then we have a company that is our primary investor company called Learning Technology Group, G's Group, which is um, which also provides a support. So it's been a it's been a I'll just say a crazy journey over the last couple of years. And, and you know this has been true of the market for a long time. As soon as you think that it's going to slow down, it, it tends to instead speed up and surprise you in some way. Uh, but we've been incredibly help, uh, happy with the growth that we've had um both again new clients that have come to us organically as well as uh, you know those clients that have come through acquisition as we brought these Moodle companies together
1: wow yeah that's quite a trip I uh, yeah I certainly like you said I, I was focused on the big commercial lmss uh most of my colleagues and uh in higher ed uh using one well, I guess the like I guess you could call them the big three uh, lmss so uh, and and I just certainly wasn't focused on what's happening in the rest of the world. So, like you said, uh, Moodle and then uh, Open LMS is is has a gigantic, gigantic footprint. That's that's really incredible. I'm, I'm glad you uh, brought that up.
2: People forget that Moodle still has more than 20% market share in North America. Until at least, I haven't seen the most recent stats by List EdTech and stuff, but up until recently, at least by a number of higher ed institutions, it was higher than Desire2Learn in number of institutions. Again, people this is part of the problem, right? The Moodle as an open source project doesn't really market itself, doesn't really, you know, so it isn't talked about in the same ways um, that that some of the commercial platforms are because there's not a huge marketing budget and, and they don't have analysts covering them and all that type of stuff. So it's just, it's a different play, but it, it is, it's, in, it's important in North America as well. I, I don't mean to mean that it's just international, but it's still very important. Got it. America. Yeah, I see. I'm
1: curious, you know, when you think about the, um, you mentioned the impact of, Uh, COVID and the pandemic on your business and you saw that spike, that seemed to play a role. The pandemic seems to play a role too in in the pressure on smaller educational institutions. In fact, the case in point is my own. I don't know if you're aware, but uh, University of the Sciences, uh, we go back to uh, Philadelphia College of Pharmacy uh, over 200 years ago. In fact, we just had our bicentennial. But we had we're under financial pressure, and I think the pandemic was the last straw. And so we merged. We just officially merged uh, June first with uh, Saint Joseph uh, University in Philadelphia. So I'm wondering if you've seen uh, an uptick that you can pin on the fact that that some smaller institutions are struggling and trying to find ways of uh, saving money.
2: There's definitely strong arguments that open source technologies like Open LMS. Uh, moodle with with moodle underlying it are a better total cost of ownership for the vast majority of institutions why can i why can i confidently say that uh one we we because the development is done by a community right you're not uh, that, that there's more people working on it there's a broader set of people having input that that are doing it not for cost but for uh the benefit of the community so that's point one but maybe the point that most people forget about is actually the in, in a total cost of ownership type argument, people often forget about what I call the cost of exit, right? So it sounds like you've gone through a couple of LMS migrations. Uh, those are incredibly expensive and complicated, and they're not just expensive in dollar terms, they're expensive in human terms, right? People's time, energy, support calls, frustration, whatever those things are. One of the benefits of using open source, when you think about total cost of ownership, is what happens if you want to leave the provider that you're with, right? And in the situation with if you're using Moodle or Open LMS, if you decide, you know, hey, Open LMS is not going to give is not giving us the service that we wanted, which by the way doesn't happen very often. We have, we provide great service. I should probably qualify that in case anybody or clients or prospects are listening. Um, but you can just say, great, I'm going to take my Moodle and I'm going to go. I'm going to go somewhere else or i'm going to self-host it on my own servers or i'm going to put it in aws and so the cost of exit is just vastly different and the, the flexibility that it provides you to have different teaching styles so yes we are seeing some institutions that that are choosing to go back to open source right so that are leaving some of the big three as you mentioned before and coming back to open source Partially because of uh, the cost of the total cost of ownership is lower and they're wanting to invest those resources elsewhere or save that money. I think the more important thing for smaller institutions, and again, one of the best benefits of an open source platform and, and OpenLMS is its flexibility, is that these smaller institutions, the ones that are going to be the most successful, I think are the ones that really create a, a niche or a hook or a, a thing that really differentiates them and you know where big institutions are maybe building rock climbing walls and having you know gourmet sushi chefs in their cafeteria when you're a small institution you know the teaching and learning experience uh and how you do that is it can be your niche right it can be uh, it can be uh the way that you differentiate yourself and in that world the lms is your front door right it's the same coming into your lms is just like driving up to the gates of a campus in today's world and having the flexibility to control that experience and build it in the way that you want uh, can be absolutely fundamental to differentiating yourself and then therefore you know, relieving some of the financial pressures that, that you're mentioning around enrollment, et cetera. The, the smaller institutions that I worry about the most are those that that can't really distinguish themselves or differentiate themselves or have a value proposition that's fundamentally different. And Clients that use us well and that we partner with well often use us to help create that value proposition.
1: When I think back, uh, uh, I, I think uh, when we went through some of our transitions, uh, we tried to do our due diligence and looked at uh, the different products out there. And I think it was probably in our IT shop that sort of discounted uh, Moodle at the time because they figured they don't have the staff to to manage uh, hosting something you know, on campus, we're trying to move everything into the cloud. So, um, what would you say to uh, to an IT department that thinks in
2: in those in that way? Yeah, I mean, the, so there's two there's two parts of it, right? And so when you think about enough staff, there's two parts. One is, are there enough people developing the platform, right? And that's not about how many people work at Moodle HQ, which I think is about fifty or sixty people. I don't actually know how many people work there, but there's also just thousands of contributors around the world. So on the development side, you've got to actually count the community and then also your ability to contribute to that. On the, on the hosting and scalability uh, side, that's part of the reason that we're pursuing the strategy, right? I mean, there's a lot of little noodle companies around the world that are five or eight or 10 people, uh, and they do a great job for small and mid-sized clients. But when you, if you really want scale, you've got to have 24 by seven support round the, you know, follow the sun support is a great example of that. We're now of the scale with 150 people, um, uh, 40 of whom are in Australia, 50 of whom are in Bogota, Colombia, where we can provide uh, round-the-clock hosting, uh, hosting support so, uh, services in multiple languages. So that's part of the idea behind this is to create a company that provides the backing of a global multinational company to a platform that has all the benefits that come with open source. And so that's kind of the niche where I think open LMS wants to sit, is to say, you know, you want an open source LMS, you want the flexibility and total cost of ownership benefits that come with that, but you want a company that's big enough to support you at scale. When we've got very large clients, Louisiana State University is a great client of ours. Uh, we have a statewide deal with the North Carolina community college system, the University of Barcelona, 70,000 students, University of New South Wales in Australia, one of the largest universities in Australia, Waseda University in Japan is the second one of the, I think the second largest private institution in Japan. So we've been able to demonstrate our ability to scale uh, both the solution, but also our team. Um, and do it in a really effective way. So I think it, I think at the time it was probably a valid concern. I think with Open LMS specifically, you, you shouldn't have to have that concern anymore. I mean, we're in the process. We're we're about halfway through our ISO twenty seven thousand and one certification, right? Which is a big step and requires a lot of work and investment and maturity. It's just another example of the the maturity that we're trying to have as a company and go out of the the closet little mom and pop. Oh, open source is something that you tinker with and throw it on a server under your desk, right? I think that's a little bit of a misnomer. We're a, we're a healthy growing business with, uh, with global capacity to support. But I can understand why IT shops would say that. Interestingly enough, a lot of IT shops actually really love the fact that we're open source because they feel like they have more control, right? They have input into the roadmap. They can actually write code and put it through a QA process with us that can be deployed into their instance, right? I mean, and that's something that, uh, really isn't isn't very possible in a lot of the more proprietary solutions
1: right do schools still host it uh, on their own what's the breakdown between those that host it you mentioned putting on aws or do you host it for them how's it what's the breakdown
2: yeah, I mean, globally, it's all over the place, right? I mean, there are still a lot of institutions that self-host Moodle. In North America, it's a little bit less common. Most of them either use an open LMS or there's a handful of other providers that are out there. But globally, many of them, uh, there's there's a lot of self-hosted out there. And when I self-host, say self-hosted, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's in their own data center it could mean that they put it in their aws account for example right and that's still a manner of self-hosting you're just it's just where do those sit the real difference uh with openl the way that we approach it and open lms approaches it is that we really approach it in a software as a service approach so if you think about open source if you're hosting it yourself and managing it yourself whether you put it in aws or your own your own data center there's security patches coming out all the time. There's quality assurance. There's plugins that people release that some professor wants that may or may not be good. You know that may or may not create massive security holes in in, in your uh, platform. And you just and, and so what we do is we actually deliver that as as a as a service to our clients. So we take uh, the most recent version of Moodle, we QA it to death, we QA all the integrations and the plugins, we deliver that in the cloud, um, consistently in a software as a service environment, we keep it upgraded, we keep security patches. And so the the, the benefit of that is really that you, you you get to focus on the things that are more important, teaching and learning, right? You don't have to think about, you don't have to become a software company, a little tiny software company at an institution, which to your point about financial pressures, very few institutions have the capacity to hire two or three or four people to manage their LMS. They're lucky if they can have one as just an administrator. So um, that's that's where we are right now. Well, I
1: I was curious. A lot of LMSs end up, you know, maybe partnering with other providers to add some features and add-ons. You know, um, you know, certainly web conferencing, um, maybe even lecture capture.
2: Yes, all that. Capture, so, yeah.
1: do you tend to just do partnering, or do you uh, sometimes build it into your, um, you know, native platform?
2: Yeah, we tend to focus mostly on partnering and, and, and integrations, and part of that is just based on the nature of open source. So, the Moodle platform, again, being the most widely used LMS platform in the world, has integrations through a plugin framework with. I, I've not yet found a tool that it doesn't have an integration with, right? Like, I mean, it's, there are literally thousands of these. Now, some of those integrations are not great. In fact, we have a process that I mentioned before where we QA those integrations and we often reject those integrations, right? We're not going to put an integration on that opens up a security hole or whatever. And then there's, of course, LTI to connect. So we tend to do partnerships as opposed to pulling those things into the native platform. So we've got, you know, partnerships with things like Blackboard SafeAssign and, um Uh, Blackboard Ally for plagiarism protection and IntelliBoard for reporting. And we've got literally hundreds of these uh, that we support for our clients. We actually just announced a really exciting one with Class uh, Technologies just a couple of weeks ago, uh, which is an interesting partnership for two reasons. Right, One, it's uh, Michael Chase, the founder of Blackboard, my former boss and I getting to work together again. But interestingly enough, Class is um, built on top of the Zoom SDK But it also uses Moodle in the background for its synchronous quizzes and stuff as the open source platform. And so we're not only partnered with them to provide integrations there, but we're actually providing a a big chunk of the back end for them because we do Moodle at scale um, as well as anybody or better than anybody else in the world, I believe. And so uh, they've done a great job of creating an interface that combines some of the LMS elements in a synchronous format, which are delivered through Moodle and Open LMS, with, you know, the Zoom SDK in a more classroom type setting. So that was a big announcement, but that's just one example of uh, uh, plagiarism detection is another one. Uh, there's lecture capture video, you know, the CalTourism of the world. We also have some um, LTG as a parent kind of holding company learning technologies group. Uh, there's about 12 or 13 companies inside that group. And we have integrations with some of their platforms as well, uh, like an analytics platform uh, that uses the the analytics standards to to deliver analytics. and It's called Watershed, and that's an example of one of the in, kind of internal partnerships that we have uh, around our platforms. Yeah, that's interesting. Especially, um,
1: I like the idea you're integrating with uh, with Class. Uh, I interviewed Michael Chase in uh, a little while ago. I think shortly after he, uh, oh, he announced uh, Class, yeah, yeah. and I thought that's really clever. You know that's in the midst of the pandemic, and 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 these poor teachers that that are te- teaching from home and they're using Zoom maybe for the first time, and it's awkward.
2: It's it's awkward. You know, especially to be able to see your whole class. Poor teachers and poor poor students that's and right. poor parents. I mean, I had I had a a first grader at the time, and I. I mean when you have a baby they, they don't also give you your teaching license right i'm'm I'm, I'm pretty decent at running a software company i'm pretty not amazing at being a first grade part-time <laughs> teacher so uh, yeah it's I, I think it's a brilliant idea and we were when when he start, first started ta- and i first started talking about it you know 18 months ago or so and I realized that they were starting to use the open source Moodle code it just made a lot of sense for us to work together um because again we're doing Moodle at, at a scale that nobody else in the world is doing it at right now. And so as they scale up and grow quite quickly, especially with the fact that they just acquired Blackboard Collaborate, um, you know, that's, uh, I feel like it's going to be a really interesting time in that particular part of the month. I know that. You're saying Class acquired Blackboard Collaborate. Yeah. I mean, it was announced a few weeks ago. It actually hasn't closed because there's a a legal review process happening. It should close in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, the Class Technologies team, Michael Chasen, raised some money and, and went and acquired uh, the Blackboard Collaborate business from Blackboard slash Anthology. Um, so yeah, they're, they're going to be, they're now the biggest synchronous platform that is specific for education. Um, and with that, I, I think it's going to just really accelerate the innovation in that area. And we're super excited to be a part of that and to be helping them out on the back end.
1: Interesting. You know, um, part of my uh, last uh, task at my institution was to To launch uh, an online division, which was really focused on asynchronous, not synchronous. So, are you seeing more of that, or 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 people really, you know, the the because of Zoom fatigue, and and uh, it seems to me that you know you might expect more emphasis these days on more uh, structured, you know, asynchronous programs. Is that happening or not?
2: I don't think it's binary. I mean the, the The way, what I see happening is that people want both the asynchronous and the synchronous environment whenever they use them to be the best for that environment, right? And, and to be designed for that environment. And I think that's the difference. I don't think asynchronous is ever going to go. One of the benefits of online learning is, right, you can do it any time of the day. And so, you know, one example that we often, well, this used to be true. I haven't looked as much since the pandemic, but it used to be that the busiest usage period for Uh, LMS, and this is true at Angel and Blackboard and Moodle rooms, often was like Sunday night at 10pm, right? Because that's when everybody like logs in and checks, hey, what's due this week, I need to submit some stuff, whatever those things are. And, And that's part of the benefit of online learning is that you don't have, you know, you've got the flexibility to fit it around a schedule that makes sense for you um and so i think the asynchronous part is always going to be important but if there is a syn- even if you're in a, a hybrid model where there is a synchronous portion of that you know friday at 10am we're actually going to have either a a, a real class or office hours or whatever you want that experience to be great too right like so the idea that there are bespoke tools that do either asynchronous or synchronous incredibly well i think makes a lot of sense right i don't know where people are going to land on you know mm-hmm. do you do fully synchronous or not i I think you, if you go fully synchronous, that works for some people, but you are giving up that that massive benefit of the flexibility around time, right? And and, um, that's a big thing to be.
1: That's right. I mean, even our synchronous, I mean, our asynchronous uh, division, uh, it's really not totally asynchronous. There's always office hours, always uh, you know opportunity for students to connect with their with their faculty. I've been a technologist my whole professional life, and I'm always interested, uh, hence my podcast, you know, finding uh, the cool new educational technologies. Uh, And so I thought this would be a great question for you. Can you point to any newer, cool technologies that maybe you're not currently taking advantage of, but things that you've heard of
2: that maybe I should be following up on? I mean, there's, there's a lot of them. Um, the ones that I'm watching the most closely uh, right now, I mean, and I wish I had more time to watch them more closely are are what's happening with learner records and things that are revolving around things like blockchain and access. And I, I think we're still in the very early days here, but what does a transcript look like going forward? What do, you know, is it just grades? What about the skills that I develop? How do I certify those? I think it's a wide open space right now. Uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, I know, is doing a lot of investment or looking at a lot of investment. You've got, you know, groups like Parchment and others that I think that are. There's just a lot of interesting things that could be done there. I don't believe, what, from what I've seen yet, anybody has you know cracked the code or made a, a big, a uh, big move there. But, but somebody will at some point, and I think that's going to be a space to watch. Uh, I think it's also important in the employment. I mean. The job market now is so hot and so crazy, and trying to find the right talent. But you know, if you think about a world where people's not only their transcript, let's call it, but also uh, certified skills that they have, if those were machine readable, the ability to match employees with the right profile of a job is is just very different. And so, there's a lot of investment and a lot of playing happening. That right. And but again, how the how does how does that relate to what the learner wants to do, right? Uh, where does that learning record sit? I I, um, I still, and this is probably still true, I should know this, I guess, but I remember when I applied for a job 20 some years ago when I graduated and I had to, uh, I think I probably had to call at the time, I'm not even sure I could do it online, that, that ages me a little bit, but I think I had to pay $15 to get my transcript mailed to my potential employer, right? Like, and and what did my employer do? They got a transcript, they probably stapled it to a printed copy of my resume. And, and the fact that it showed up was probably enough. Maybe they looked at it, I don't know. But that's not super meaningful anymore. And and that and so I I think that whole space around skills. And the interesting thing is that's not just something that that universities and, and are looking at, the employers are looking at it too, right? They're trying to track those when they do internal professional development you know to make sure that people have the right skills for jobs or whatever all that stuff matters right how many how many of my devops folks are aws certified matters to me for a lot of different reasons and when they go try to hire somebody and they put on the the job spec they need to have an aws certification great well that that should both attract a certain set of people and it should filter out other people and and we're not good at that yet, right? For all the advancements in other areas, right? I, I still think that is an area that that has a lot of work. So that's that's the one. I mean, there are other ones I'll mention, but those, that's one that I'm, I'm following and I'm kind of fascinated with, but I wish I had more time to invest. Well,
1: you know, maybe you've already discovered them, but this is a good time for me to give a shout out to another company that I interviewed not too long ago, and that's credible. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, of course. they yeah. sound like they have great technology and and, and they can build their uh, credentials on the blockchain. Because so I certainly asked them about that. And uh, it seems like that's really a big, important niche for them to, to fill. As they pointed out, students love it because then they can point to their certificates and they can put on LinkedIn, you know, listen, if you want to validate my my credentials here it is here's you know credible and uh, so um, I hope their business is is going well, but uh, that might be a great company for you to partner with if you haven't already.
2: We've talked with them and we there's you know it's a supply and demand thing. you have to be able to both generate those things then somebody has to be able to consume them and recognize that they're that they're valid, right? I mean if I part of the reason you know getting a diploma from Harvard or whatever let's say that matters because people recognize that as valid we've got to get to the place where there's enough supply and demand such that a, a, a credible blockchain credential or something carries the right amount of weight, you know, the, the right validity to that. Um, so we, we need to, um, that's, that's what I think is still evolving is, is both sides of that kind of marketplace have to work in sync for it to be meaningful. It's early. I, I think it's still early. We'll see with with the investment that's happening there. I think, there's bound to be good things that come out of it. I just, I don't know exactly what they'll be.
1: Well, I think um, to be respectful of my audience time, I think we're almost at the end here, but I just wanted to give you an opportunity to mention anything that's coming down the pike. If you are, I know uh, LMSs are always uh, developing new technologies or uh, new improvements. Is there anything you can point to that um, that maybe is helped uh, help to distinguish uh, Moodle from our Moodle yeah. or Open LMS from the the, the big three. Either, either one. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. So first, we should probably call it the big four because I think Moodle should just be included in that. Okay. Got that. it. But, uh, I, there's, there's there's really there's there's two things I'll mention. There's one. Th- then there's one uh, two things in the product. Um, uh, in, in our in our the way we deliver. I'll mention. I'll mention one thing that we're super excited about for later this year. So the first is we base all of our success on customer support and customer satisfaction and really partnering with our clients. Again, I said it before, the total cost of ownership is different for OpenLMS because if we do a bad job of providing service with you, you could literally leave tomorrow and stand your Moodle up somewhere else. Um, and, and so so at some level, that holds us to a higher standard of support and customer service than any other platform out there because, uh, because our code is open source. Uh, on the actual what we invest in the product our biggest area and it's been our biggest area of differentiation for a long time is uh, well there's integrations which we're, we're incredibly good at but then there's what we call personalized learning and we built a tool that allows you to really um, customize learning paths customize the way that the course is delivered customize the way the instructor interacts with the student on a very personalized level based on their either their performance in the course time like a lot of different factors it's something that you know whether it's you or some of your audience I'd love to show them sometime and also get their feedback on because we we the clients that use this are are just overwhelmed and when they go look at a different platform they just can't uh, they just can't find anything that compares. Um, um what we're excited about right now we're uh, we just a uh, you know we're a new company only 2 years old and we just announced about a month ago we put a save the date on people's calendars our all of our clients and our community. We're going to host our first ever user's conference. Uh, So we did a face-to-face. We did it last year in a virtual thing, and we had more than 1,800 registrations, and hundreds and hundreds of people showed up uh, online. But we're going to try, if if COVID and other things allow, we're going to try to get together in Phoenix in October with our clients really for the first time ever, um, because especially as a new company and we're we're incredibly excited about that. It's also not just for clients. We have a, a really big audience. We run a, a program called the eLearn Success Series, uh, which is free and open to the public. Um, and we did a, a instructional design session in February. We did an instructor session in uh, May and we're doing the ed tech and technologist session in July. And we're inviting all those people to come face-to-face too because it's not going to be a sales a users conference. Again, we we're on an open source platform. So it's not really about us selling you a product. It's about us working with you to to help you use that product more effectively. So I think it's going to be different um than most what people call users conference. It's going to really be focused on adoption and teaching and learning as opposed to product and technology. And I don't know, we'll see. This is a we it's a weird, I don't know if you've been to a conference yet post pandemic, but every I've gone to maybe two or three and you're always like I don't know what this is going to be like, (laughs) right? Like, and so we're trying to plan plan for the best. uh, And also, Phoenix in October sounds amazing to somebody that lives in Indiana. If you live in Philadelphia, you you feel me, right? That's right about the time you're you're like dreading the the freezing cold rain that's going to come in November. And so, a little quick trip down to uh, to Phoenix in October.
1: That is exciting. Uh, I think there's uh, people are ready ready to get back and do things in person.
2: I happen to be in Bogota, Colombia, where I mentioned before we have 51 employees. It was the first time we've been able to get together, and it is amazing. Like We've gotten really good at working online. I don't want to discount that, and I do believe that many people uh, are never going to work from an office again, but there are times when being face-to-face, both in structured and in unstructured times is incredibly important and, and, and drives a lot of conversations and innovation that doesn't happen. And the companies that are going to be successful, the institutions that are going to be successful are going to find that right mix, right? Of how do I give people the flexibility, but what does it look like? And, and you know, getting 200, 300 educators together in a room to talk about, you know, online learning that's pretty cool, right? Something good is going to happen if we do that, and we do it well. So I'm excited about that.
1: Sounds great. Well, I think that's that's a perfect note to, uh, to end on, and uh, I want to thank you so much, Phil, yeah. for well, thank you yeah, for your no, time. I, I, I really enjoyed learning more about the uh, open LMS, and um, you know, like, and I will correct myself from now, and I'll say the big four. <laughs> the
2: big four. The big four. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Appreciate that. If I've accomplished one thing today, that, I, will, I will take that. as a <laughs> Very good. Uh, take care. All right. Thanks, sir.
1: So that's it for today. I hope you got something out of it. I certainly did. I learned a lot about Open LMS and how it's evolved. Also take a look at some of the links I include on the show notes and stay tuned for the song Summertime by Brother Love. Until next time, have a great week.
0: Today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to give Rod feedback. You can leave comments on his blog or send email to rod at rodspulsepodcast.com. The preceding audio commentary is the product of the author, Dr. Rodney Murray, and does not represent the official viewpoint of any other institution or company.